Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16, but we'll start at verse 1 to get a recap of what's taking place. In verse 1 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners, which is the sailors, were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship, had lied down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. That means die. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us whose cause this trouble upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly fear afraid. And they said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because they had told, because he had told them. And when they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous, or however you pronounce that word. That's a hard word for me. Uh, verse 12. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous because, or against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord. Please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it is pleasing, or uh, pleases you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Remember, Jonah had just received a message from the Lord. He was a prophet. And when God gave a prophet a message, they were to be obedient and follow through. 
That message was to go to Nineveh, which was in the east on a map, and preach to them against their wickedness. But Jonah didn't want to because he knew in doing so that this wicked city of Nineveh, which uh, was the main headquarters for the Assyrian Empire, would get saved. And he didn't want them to get saved. He hated them that much. So he ran and flew from God's presence. Jonah responded to the Lord's message by being disobedient. Now, how does the Lord respond to Jonah's disobedience? What does he do? We know sometimes when we are disobedient to our parents, there's consequences that follow, right? (laughs) What does our Heavenly Father do to Jonah? We'll look at verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, a storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. The Lord responds to Jonah's disobedience by sending a storm. Now, many Christians refer to storms in their life as going through something hard or difficult. And it's important to understand that not all storms come because of disobedience. Some storms uh, come because we are obedient. Other storms come because God has a heart to save other people that aren't on our radar. And so the only way to get us to those people is through a storm. And you can see these two things illustrated in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and Acts 27, 28 through 28. But it's important to think and consider. I'm not sure if you've ever done this, but you've maybe seen somebody going through a hard time, experiencing a tragedy or uh, some financial issues, and you're on the outside, and you're watching them. And you think and you wonder, why are they going through this? Is God punishing them? Are are they doing good with the Lord? The point is, you can't look at someone in a storm and assume you know why they're in the storm and what they are going through. We don't. Only God does. But God reveals why the storm came to Jonah here because of his disobedience. Now, that word sent in verse 4, that word sent literally means to hurl. God took a storm, chucked it at Jonah, and hit his target. This storm was massive, fierce, powerful, and was about to destroy the ship. And if you think about it, and you hear that God hurled a storm at Jonah, that might sound evil, right? That might kind of sound even wicked and wrong. And at first glance, it might seem that way. And it might seem an overreaction on God's parts. But I believe there are several reasons why God sends this storm. Number one, God loves Jonah. God loves Jonah. And you might be like, that's kind of a weird way to show your affection or your love towards somebody else. (laughs) But God wasn't mad at Jonah. He didn't do it because he hated Jonah. It was an act of love. Just because Jonah is disobedient, it doesn't mean that changes God's love for him and their relationship. Jonah was still a son, and God was still Jonah's father. 
That relationship did not change because of his disobedience. And that gives me comfort. And I'm thankful for this story because I know I've been disobedient. I know I've been disobedient to God. I've broken his commandments. I've rebelled. I've done my own thing. Yet, when you become a child of God and you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and sometimes we do continue to rebel after that, our relationship with God does not change. His love towards us does not change. God loved Jonah too much to let him get away with his disobedience. And I look back over my life, and I can see God's hand of protection. There was some things I did, and I was like, I'm not sure if you've ever done something bad, and you think to yourself, oh, I've gotten away with it. And then all of a sudden, like your parents find out, or your teacher tells your parents, or something bad happens, and you're like, dang it, I did not get away with it. I thank God for those moments where I didn't get away with things, because if I did, I think I would have gone further and further and then further away. God has graciously allowed me to get caught several times. And it's funny because we were just talking in my office earlier about kind of racing and how uh, one of the guys, his dad, maxed out his car like on the freeway going like 100 and something miles per hour. And I was like, I've always wanted to do that with my truck. When I bought my truck off of this guy, he took the governor out, which means a governor prevents your engine from going over 100 and like 10 miles per hour. He took that off. So it can go even faster than that. And I'm like, ooh, I want to test this. But the moment I test this, I know God will not allow me to get away with this. I know as soon as I try to do it on the freeway and go like 120 or push it, like there's going to be a cop. And all of a sudden there's going to be these lights. And I'm just going to be like, oh. And then there's going to be this fat ticket of probably 500 bucks or more that I'll have to pay. And then I'll cause my insurance probably to jump and skyrocket and so for that reason I don't do it because I know God says like you know what I don't want you to do stupid things and he's gonna look out for me but see God loved Jonah the second thing is God never gave up on Jonah we could have asked the question why not forget about Jonah and move on to the next person or prophet God could have because God could use anybody he doesn't have to use us but that wasn't God's plan or purpose. He wasn't about to give up on Jonah just because Jonah gave up on him. God never gives up on his people. He never lets them go out of his love. He's constantly fighting for his people, fighting for us. And even though we fail over and over, God never fails. He never gives up on us. He never moves on. He goes, I'm, I'm done with Josh. He's, he was disobedient. I'm going to move on to the next person and use them. God is determined. When he sets his mind to something, he's going to do it. And when he says, I'm going to use you, he's going to use us one way or another. And the third reason I believe God sent this storm is he showed Jonah mercy. Now, you might be like, what? Mercy defined is not getting what you deserved. Now, I think Jonah deserved a little worse. <laughs> Don't you agree? Jonah deserved worse than a storm. If anything, he could have probably, like, God could have snapped his fingers and like, all right, now you have boils all over your body. God could have snapped his fingers like, you're dead. Like, that's what you deserve. 
for being disobedient and how much hatred Jonah had in his heart toward the Ninevite people, toward the Assyrians. But he didn't do that. This was an act of mercy on God's part. Think about it. God sent a storm that was in his control the whole entire time. I can't help but read this and think, why didn't God intervene sooner? Right? In verse 3, it says, Jonah ran. My first thought is, why, did not, why didn't God put a rock in front of his foot to make him trip? <laughs> why didn't he put obstacles in front of him so that Jonah wouldn't get this far down the road? Why didn't he all of a sudden get to the, where the ships are docking and all of a sudden he pulled out his pockets and realized they were empty? Why didn't, make, why didn't God make his money disappear? Well, I like what this commentator said by the name of Boyce. He said, he lets us go down that road of dis, uh, disobedience for a bit. At first, he does not put obstacles in our path. If we choose to stop reading our Bibles, he does not send a special message or make the stars spell out, read your Bibles. If we choose to stop praying, he does not send a disaster to make us pray and turn to him. Not at first. He simply allows us to go down that hill to pay for our own foolish choices. He begins gently, just as we gently disobey. But our gently disobeying can turn over to greater and further disobeying. And then God's going to intervene. And so he gives us a free will and it's up to us if we want to follow him or not. See, Jonah's disobedience affected others. And we learn that in the Bible, our disobedience, our sin, the sin that you and I do that no one else knows about affects everyone around us. And you might think, no, that's not true. The Bible illustrates this over and over and over. Just read Joshua chapter 6 and 7, and you will see the sin of Achan. And this one man's sin costed 36 men their lives because he took something that he was told not to take. So our sins affect everyone around us. And now everybody on this ship is in danger because of Jonah's disobedience. Think about that. Everyone is in danger because of his disobedience. We see that God sends a storm because of Jonah's disobedience. Now we're going to look at how does Jonah and the non-believing sailors respond to this storm? How do they react to what God hurls at this ship? Well, there's a contrast throughout these verses. A contrast between the Sailors that are non-believing sailors and Jonah, who is a prophet of God. And God highlights on the pages of these scriptures here the sailors' reactions, emotions, and character and contrasts that against Jonah. Look at verse 5. Then the sailors were afraid and every man cried out to his God through the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship and had lied down and was fast asleep. 
The words afraid and fear are two key words in this passage mentioned four times. In verses 5, 9, 10, and 16, are, and these are important to understand what the Scripture is talking about. And the first contrast we see is the sailors were afraid. They were praying. They were crying out to their gods for help, and they were doing their jobs. So the, the sailors were doing everything human, human, humanly possible that they could. In the midst of a storm, they were throwing cargo over to lighten the load. They were crying out to their gods. But what was Jonah doing? Jonah wasn't afraid. He wasn't praying. And he was asleep. Now, the fact that he wasn't afraid doesn't mean he had this amazing courage. No. It wasn't because of his courage. And I can't help but wonder, how could Jonah sleep in the midst of a storm? Last night, it was hard to sleep with all the fireworks going on after 4th of July. But how could Jonah sleep in the midst of the storm, the ship rocking back and forth, possibly water splashing on his face, lightning and thunder, and a wind ripping through? This shows us that Jonah's heart was being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And this is the beginning of his hardening heart. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 says, You must warn each other every day while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Sin, as we allow sin into our lives, it hardens us against the Lord. And that's why I'm concerned for many of you. Those of you that have grown up in church, it's dangerous to grow up in a church. You know why? Because you hear God's word over and over and over and over, and you can become callous to it, where it doesn't affect you. And callous means, I don't know if you have a little brother. I do. And my little brother, he would run around barefoot everywhere. In the middle of the summer on a 110 degree day, he could walk on the asphalt and it wouldn't phase his feet. His feet were just tough. He could walk over rocks. He could probably step on a Lego and not even face him. But that's the idea of callous. Certain things won't be able to penetrate. And our hearts can get harder and harder where God's word keeps hitting it and it just bounces off. In verse 6, the captain, he tries everything and he exhausts all of his resources. He goes back down into the lower parts of the ship to see if there's any more cargo to throw over. And what does he find? He finds Jonah asleep on a pillow. And he gets upset. This gets him mad. He's like, wake up. What do you think you're doing? Arise, pray to your God. Perhaps your God will save us, that we will not perish. And here's the second contrast, is the captain of the ship is concerned about everyone's life on board. He thinks they're all going to die. Jonah doesn't care. He doesn't give a rip about anybody's life on board. He doesn't give a rip about the Ninevites, and he really doesn't care about anybody on board. Also, the captain has to wake Jonah up and tell him to pray. Don't you think it's kind of funny when a non-believer tells a Christian to pray? 
Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't we as Christians encourage non-believers to pray and to seek the Lord? That's Jonah's job. He should have been doing it. But the captain of the ship was doing, in a sense, Jonah's job. In verse 7, it says, They said to one another, As Jonah and the captain were coming up out of the bottom of the ship, the sailors on board got together and they're like, Okay, this storm is freaky. This storm is unlike any other storm we've experienced. Like, we're experienced sailors, and we are terrified. Why? Why is this storm different? And then all of a sudden, they come to a conclusion. This storm is supernatural. It's unlike any other natural storm. There has to be a reason behind this. Possibly a god or a divine being is judging somebody on board. And so what do they do? They cast lots to figure out whose fault it was, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, casting lots is kind of like about rolling dice, and they used this to figure out kind of what God was doing. And just as God had control over the storm, God had control over the dice, and as they fell, they landed at the feet of Jonah and pointed to him. Now, imagine that, the ship rocking back and forth, the wind ripping through, water hitting your face, waves crashing against, it's constantly rocking, and all these men are gathered together around trying to figure out, and all of a sudden, it falls at Jonah's feet. Every eye looks at him, and all of a sudden, the questions start flying. The questions start flying at him. Please tell us, why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What is your job? Where do you come from? What is your country? What are, who are your people? And when we go through storms, all those questions come up. If you go through a difficult time, possibly a loved one passes away, all these questions come to your mind. Family member has cancer, or a family member has COVID. You might be thinking, why God? Why them? Why me? Why this? Why that? Why now? And Jonah responds, to the sailors' questions. He says, I'm a Hebrew. By saying this, he's telling them that he's a Jew, a, an Israelite. And then he says, and I fear the Lord. Jonah says, I respect God. Do you think Jonah really feared and respected the Lord? I want your guys' thoughts. Do you guys really think Jonah feared and respected God? Sorry, Donnie, you were in first service. You can't answer questions. Anybody? No, why not? Absolutely correct. You're right. Because of what happened before, his actions didn't line up with his words, right? His words said, oh, yes, I fear God. But his actions said, no, I don't. And so at this moment, I believe Jonah in the past probably feared the Lord in the past. But at this moment, Jonah did not fear God. He didn't respect the Lord. And we can be like that too. I know I have. 
where we said one thing and we act a different way. Maybe we come to church and act one way, but when we go to school or we're around our friends, we act another way. God sees that. It's not hidden from His eyes. And that's called being hypocritical. It was a dangerous thing. And Jesus warned His disciples about this hypocrisy and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, saying one thing and doing another. Jonah goes on to say, I fear the Lord and the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, this is kind of ironic. Jonah is saying, yeah, I believe in God who made the sea that I'm running away from on the sea. Does that make sense? Jonah is running away from God on the sea that God created, that God is in control over, running away from the presence of the Lord. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens and the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the sea and all that is in them. You have preserved them all. The hosts of heaven worship you. But look at verse 10. As soon as Jonah answered their question, these experienced sailors were exceedingly afraid. They were even more terrified now than they were before. Why? Why were these men more afraid here than they were before the storm or during the beginning of the storm? What caused them to be more fearful here? Well, think about it. These sailors have traveled the Mediterranean Sea. They've heard the stories from each and every coast they visited. And I bet you they've heard about Jehovah the God of the Hebrews. They've heard of the stories of the plagues being sent on Egypt. They've heard of the stories of the Red Sea parting for a million people. They've heard the stories of Joshua coming in and conquering all their enemies, the walls of Jericho falling. They've heard all these stories. And all of a sudden, it scares them to the core. Because they realize this storm came from God. The sailors follow up with two questions. Why have you done this? And notice, Jonah doesn't tell them the answer to this question. They say, why have you done this? And it says because he fled from the presence of the Lord and told them that. But he didn't tell them the reasons why. And the reasons why is because he hated the Ninevites and didn't want to see them saved. Then it goes on to say in verse 11, What shall we do that is to you so that the sea may be calm for us? Because the sea is growing more and more dangerous and aggressive. And so Jonah answers the second question. Pick me up and throw me into the sea then the sea will be calm for you. Wait, what? Did, did Jonah really just say that? This is Jonah's idea, okay? This is not the sailor's idea to throw him over. This is Jonah's idea. 
He could have said, you know what? I'm running from God. God wants me to go preach to the Ninevites. And you know what? I'll go now. Let's turn the ship around and let's head back. If Jonah did that, I bet you it would be a totally different outcome. If Jonah actually genuinely was going to follow the Lord and they turned the ship around, all of a sudden the storm would have stopped and God probably might have sent a wind to push them faster to shore. But Jonah doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let's all get on our hands and knees and pray to God. He doesn't say that. The idea he has is throw me overboard. Now this idea and answer to their question is very sad. Because Jonah's saying, I'd rather die than do the will of God. That's what he's saying. He says, I'd rather die than see those people saved. I'd rather die and drown to death than see the Ninevite people saved. This shows us how determined Jonah was to resist the will of God and how hard his heart had gotten. But it also encourages me because God is even more determined than Jonah is to use him. He's like, oh, you think that's going to stop me, Jonah? Go ahead, try it. <laughs> See what happens. It's going to be uncomfortable for a couple, like three days, let's say. <laughs> but test me. And the sad part is, us as Christians, we too can become hard like this. We can become hard just like Jonah. Where we don't feel the Lord's presence. We stop listening to the conviction of the Spirit. And we keep hardening our hearts and rebelling against the Lord. And that thought scares me because I don't want that for any of us in this room. I don't want that for any of you. Jonah goes on to say, For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Notice, he says, this is my fault, guys. But he never says, I'm sorry. He never says, please forgive me. He just simply says, it's, yes, it's my fault. Sorry for putting you guys all through this and making you guys scared out of your minds. <laughs> no he really doesn't care about the sailors on board. He says, yeah, it's my fault. Nevertheless, in verse 13, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was too strong. The storm was too crazy. See, these men didn't want to throw Jonah overboard, and that's why I admire these sailors. These sailors actually had character, more character than Jonah. They valued life, they valued his life, even though he didn't value their lives. And they're like, we're not going to throw you overboard. That's ridiculous. They tried with all their might to row back to the land, but it wasn't enough. The only other option to stop the storm was to throw Jonah overboard. So what do the sailors do? They, therefore, they cry out to the Lord and say, first of all, Notice they're crying out to not their God, but they're crying out to Jonah's God now. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. 
the sailors stopped praying to their God and started praying to the, the real and true God. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Wherever, whatever the Lord does, He pleases. In heaven and in the earth, in the sea, in all deep places. If you think about all the deep places in our world, every crevice, the depths of the ocean, God is at work and in control of it all. And these sailors realize that now. Verse 15, so they pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea. And the sea ceased. Do you think it was a struggle? Did, did Jonah resist and say, please don't, don't, please don't throw me over? I bet you Jonah said, all right, here you go. Trust fall. And he just like, and then just plopped him into the sea. I bet you Jonah didn't even resist because he had his mind made up. And as soon as Jonah hit the water, the waves stopped, the thundering stopped, and it was calm. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, it says, The Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea, and when the waves rise, you still them. Can you imagine being one of the sailors, picking up Jonah? Possibly you either have his feet or his arms, and you throw him in, and as soon as he hits the water, it is just calm. That would be trippy. In verse 16, then the, men, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. See, the, the sailors respond to the mercy of God because God delivered them. In the midst of the storm, these unbelieving sailors discovered the true and living God through a rebellious prophet and were saved not only physically, but also spiritually. Notice that. Jonah didn't value their life, but God valued every single one of their lives. And in Jonah's rebellious state, God was still working. God was still saving people's lives. And that's encouraging to me, because even when we are rebellious, God is at work. God is ministering to people around us. We are a living testimony. And Jonah was a living testimony of the chastening of God or God's discipline or correction. And there are three reasons why I believe these men became true converts and were believers. Number one, they feared the Lord exceedingly. Notice the, the, the fear. They first feared the storm in verse 5. Then they were terrified in verse 10 because of what Jonah said. And now they fear him and they respect him. The second thing is they offered a sacrifice. This is the Jewish way of worshiping God. They offered the Lord a sacrifice. They worshiped him. And they took a vow. They made promises. Now, it wasn't like the promises like we make. Because sometimes we'll make a promise like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll move to Africa for you. <laughs> I'll be a missionary somewhere. 
Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. It's like we're bargaining with God. But this is not that. This was a true commitment to the Lord. And notice their transformation just in these verses. They went from praying to their God to praying to the God, fearing the storm to fearing the Lord, confessing his sovereignty or his control over creation, and their actions followed through with that. This reveals that our God is a merciful and gracious God. When we, or when the Lord corrects us, how do we respond? When the Lord starts to correct us in our lives, how do we respond? Do we resist? Do we harden our hearts like Jonah did and rebel? Or do we respond like the sailors who are more humble, more willing? See, God loves us. And even though we say that over and over and over and over, it doesn't sink into our minds and into our hearts that God, the author of salvation, the creator of the universe, actually has a deep affection for you and I. And something to illustrate this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 in the NLT translation. If you have time later, please, I want you to read this on your own, okay? Because to me, this tells me that God loves us and loves Jonah. Look at verse 6. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. The reason why God sent the storm is because he loved Jonah, and he's disciplining him because it's his child. In verses 10 through 11, it goes on to say, For our earthly fathers discipline us for a few years, doing the best they know. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Think about that. God is disciplining us so that we can share in his holiness what makes him special and set apart and unique. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. Now, we hate being disciplined, right? When our parents discipline us, take away something, um, we were just talking and reminiscing last night um, about uh, the things we've done over the years. I have three other siblings. I have an older brother, an older sister, and then a younger brother. And for me, I can't stand the smell of wintergreen lifesavers. You know what those are? Like the white ones that are circles. They're like super potent, right? They're disgusting. Uh, I get nauseous. It makes me want to like throw up. And when I was younger, I had a super sensitive nose. Like, I could smell if someone went into my room and touched something. I was like, dude, my cousin was here. And my parents like, how do you know that? I don't know. I'm weird, okay? Uh, but one time, my brother, my sister, and their friend decided to mess with me, and they put one in the air vent of the car. And my mom got mad, and she pulled over and said, you're walking home. They're like, mm, you're lying, right? And she's like, no, get out of the car. 
she made them all get out of the car and walk home. And not only that, on the way home, my mom stopped by uh, the local dairy that we had and bought me and my little brother some ice cream. And they saw that happening. And then as they get to the house, my mom apparently locked them out of the house too <laughs> to teach them a lesson. And that was, it was so funny because like, it, they were messing with me, and so they got punished, and I was like, ha, 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 that sucks for you guys. Um, but why do I tell you that story? It's because it wasn't enjoyable. My mom was trying to teach them a lesson, and it's painful sometimes when we get disciplined. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of righteous living for those who are trained in this way. If we submit to the Lord, God will do a work in our lives and help us to live righteous lives that are fruitful for Him. So how are we going to respond to when the Lord's chasing us down and we're running away? When God's goodness and mercy is pursuing us? I love that. It says in Psalms chapter uh, 23, I think verse 5, that the Lord's mercy or goodness pursues. That word pursue literally means to hunt down and persecute. God's goodness is hunting us down because He desires to save us and show us His grace and mercy. See, our God is still merciful. In the midst of our storms, in the midst of being corrected, He still loves us and He won't give up on us. He desires to show us mercy if we only surrender and submit to His plans and His purposes. So it's up to us. You and I, we have a free will. Do you want to experience that close relationship that the Lord talks about? There's no blessing in being disobedient. Now, Jonah was never outside of the love of God. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. According to Romans chapter 8. But I'm sure he wasn't experiencing the best side of God. How are we going to respond to the Lord? 